And you're back on Right Now with Jim Dawes. Your daily journal of news, politics, and culture from an America first perspective. Coming to you on the Mojo 5 radio network and streaming on demand on iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, and Spotify. You can also find us on iHeartRadio. Follow me on Twitter at Right Now Jim Dawes. I'd love to hear from you. You can shoot me an email at rightnowjimdawes at gmail.com. And you can leave a voicemail for me. Weigh in with your questions or comments, and we'll use your call on the broadcast at number 772-245-0750. You know, listeners, we live in a time where the news cycle is so compressed and uh, important, really momentous news comes at us so hot and heavy that uh, we're barely able to digest one event, the significance of it, and um, and really dig into an analysis of it before we're faced with yet another uh, big event. And, and that's what happened last week. Uh, last week was just um, one big story after the next with uh, Trump going to the G20 and meeting with um, the Chinese president. Again, backing off threats of tariffs and um, and reopening trade negotiations with China. Um, at the same time, Trump stopped by South Korea and uh, went to the demilitarized zone and met the little North Korean fat dictator, um, and uh, and and was the first sitting U.S. president to step foot into North Korea since the. Uh, uh, since the uh, armistice or the uh, uh, the truce that uh, stopped active hostilities in the Korean War, and of course we had not one but two Democrat debates, uh, each with ten candidates each, in which the um, the Democrat Party finally and once and for all showed exactly who they are. And that they, in fact, uh, pose an existential threat to the uh, the traditional American nation. We had this uh, this Supreme Court ruling come down that uh, John Roberts once again cucked out, sided with the liberal justices, and determined that the President of the United States is unable to add a question to the U.S. Census asking if you're a citizen. Just a bizarre ruling. So we're going to go through each one of these uh, topics, and then later in the second half of the show, we're going to be joined by uh, former Congressman Tom Tancredo. He's with We Build the Wall now. He's going to give us an update on the progress of uh, privately funded border wall construction on private property on the southern border. We're going to talk to him about uh, larger issues related to immigration as well. But, um, you know, so... Trump meets with Kim Jong-un, and I know that uh, Trump has said many times that he sees the greatest threat in the world as nuclear weapons, and he's uh, trying mightily to uh, convince the unstable uh, dictator there in North Korea, mentally unstable, 
to uh, to give up his nuclear weapons. I don't believe he's ever going to do it. But in the process, the president is, um, well, forgive me, but making a fool out of himself. Uh, count me among those people that are not impressed with the president of the United States saying wonderful things about um, about a ruthless uh, dictator who uh, who oppresses his people and threatens the world with nuclear weapons. Now, I don't mind if Donald Trump wants to meet with the little fat man. I think that's a good thing. But you don't have to uh, go butter him up and uh, and talk about the wonderful friendship and uh, and basically give the man a wet kiss on national TV. It's undignified. It's unfitting. And I'm against it. You can count me against it. Oh, Jim, he's doing whatever it takes to secure the world. Well, okay. I think you can do that just short of actually uh, embracing a, a bloodthirsty, ruthless, communist dictator. Count me out. Meet with him. Do so in a dignified way. Give him a photo op if you have to. But now we've got the president of the United States, for God's sakes, inviting this um, this communist dictator to the White House. I've got some clips here I'm going to play you that uh, sort of illustrate my point. This is Kim, who invited, uh, I think he already had the visit to South Korea scheduled, and he went on Twitter and invited the little fat man to meet him at the demilitarized zone. For one thing, I got to admit, that takes some balls on the last minute for the president of the United States to uh, to go to the uh, DMZ and meet with the Korean dictator. But uh, again, and I would have, wouldn't have had a problem with that. But then when he's there, he uh, he gives the the assembled world press this soundbite that I'm sorry is just embarrassing for the United States. I want to call it Chairman Kim. And we got to meet, and uh, stepping across that line was a great honor. A lot of progress has been made. A lot of friendships have been made, and this has been in particular a great friendship. So I just want to thank you. That was a very quick notice, and I want to thank you. <laughs> so the Pope came out and praised that, and you had a, a lot of peaceniks come out and praise that. And um, and I'm sure if Justin Romando over at antiwar.com uh, had not left us this last weekend, may he rest in peace, he would have praised it as well. But uh, there is, uh, you know, a, a legitimate place for direct diplomacy. It does not have to devolve into quotes like this. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Oh, my God. I'm sorry about the uh, long lead into that clip, but. The president of the United States goes and visits a, a bloodthirsty communist dictator and invites him to the White House. I'm sorry. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, I, I'm going to vote for Trump for re-election, and I'm glad I voted for him last time. And uh, I'm glad, glad to bring somebody, an outsider, into the swamp to try to uh, to reform things. But, uh, you know, there's uh, there's 
overturning established norms, and then there's just uh, batshit crazy. And this uh, this doesn't make any sense to me. If you listen to the the uh, the uh, the press, uh, they're all for it. Uh, this is a fellow named Jim Henson, who is a foreign policy analyst on the conservative side of the spectrum, talking with uh, Pete Hegsteth on Fox and Friends. Fox this morning. I think President Trump made a calculation that everybody's been trying to do the same thing over and over again, and we weren't getting anywhere. So he made a personal appeal to Kim Jong-un, and he's catching a lot of baloney for the people in the press and and his opposition for treating him like a human being, for buttering him up. Well, that's a tried and true technique when you're dealing with another big personality, and Kim's pretty full of himself. So Trump treats him like a big man, invites him to the table, and makes a grand gesture of walking across the line into North Korea. That's as likely to clear the logjam as anything you could talk about in the technical dealings about how we'll actually implement a deal. Again, yes, go to North Korea. Yes, meet with the dictator. No, do not talk about what a wonderful friendship you have and invite the man to the White House. You can stop short of, uh, of giving him a wet, wet kiss on national TV. I want to remind you, for those people out there that are saying that I'm wrong, that it wasn't that long ago where Barack Obama was assailed during the, uh, the 2008 presidential campaign for saying that he would uh, meet with the North Korean dictator and the, uh, the Iranian Ayatollahs. At that time, it was, uh, it was considered a bad thing now. All of the conservative press is praising it. And and I'm, you know, I'm as tribal politically as the next guy. But at some point, you have to call a spade a spade. Would you, as president, meet with the leaders of a country like North Korea? Obama extraordinarily said, I'd meet with him. Senator Obama made his intentions crystal clear on the campaign trail. I will meet, not just with our friends, but with our enemies. President Obama likes talking to dictators. He would meet with some of these madmen without any preconditions. You know, I'm going to reach out to these crazy people uh, around the world and try to get things done. I think that's a mistake. Obama is bowing and scraping before dictators. What is Team Obama doing establishing formal contacts with these people? A remarkable turnaround in relations between two historic adversaries. The commander-in-chief's leadership is now leading to a major foreign policy breakthrough. Another stunning Donald Trump breakthrough. President Trump scoring a big win. It's time to celebrate a great victory when it happens. President Trump proves the experts wrong again and scores a stunning diplomatic triumph. So you had Hannity, Laura Ingram, uh, Martha McCallum, uh, the... The, the crew of uh, Fox and Friends, everybody uh, excoriating Obama for saying that he would meet with them. And at the same time, they're falling all over them, themselves, praising Trump for doing so. That's the kind of thing that people see and really does not um, uh, reflect well. Uh, I, I believe in uh, principle. I believe in intellectual consistency. And yes, go meet the little fat dictator, but do not uh, praise him or honor him with a White House visit. So this last week, the um, NBC 
donated a uh, not one, not two, not three, but four hours to the Donald Trump reelection campaign. And of course, I'm talking about the uh, debates, the Democratic debates on Wednesday and Thursday night, each one two hours that really let everybody know just how far. If if there are any of these working class Democrats, these blue dog Democrats in the South, these uh, hard hat Democrats in the Northeast, in the Midwest, who had any doubt that the Democrat Party as they knew it, as their father knew it, is long gone, replaced by a new Marxist organization that will trample your rights, transform this nation into a socialist, Marxist-based economy, then all they needed to do was watch the debates last week where you had no fewer than 20 Democrat candidates all in lockstep toward, uh, toward you know, providing free everything. They're all trying to one-up each other on, uh, on free stuff. Buying into the whole cultural Marxist uh, oppression, liberation theology. Doing everything but staying true to the historic roots of this nation, which are freedom free enterprise, self-sufficiency, and small government. All of that's out the window for the Democrats. And it's going to be a question in 2020 whether, in fact, we've imported enough people who do not appreciate uh, America's heritage to combine with the uh, socialist Marxist lefties that we have in this country already to make a majority. I I fear we're getting near that point because if we're at the point where the Democrats are willing to go out on national TV for four hours straight promising to eliminate the border, to provide free health care for anybody in the world who manages to walk into the country and they want to do away with the border, by the way, promising to tax corporations out of existence, promising free health care, free tuition, guaranteed minimum income. If you think a nation like that is sustainable, you're just the kind of people that uh, led to Venezuela and Cuba and the Soviet Union and China. They they are still a, a nominal communist dictatorship, but what they've done is embrace uh, a controlled corporate economy on a global scale while at the same time firmly keeping a lid on any freedoms for their people. And we have uh, we've uh, shamefully contributed to that effort. So it was just about a week ago that old Bernie Sanders was on TV who he, and he sort of broke the log jam by by promising uh, free benefits to illegal aliens i think that was about a week ago but by the time the democrat debates came around they had all bought in here is uh here's bernie out on the campaign trail when he first broke the news that the marxist co-leader for the democrat nomination uh had lost his mind i will not deny that every country on earth that has a national 
health care program all have problems. That's the nature of health care and a changing technology. What is the nature of that is the nature of rationing. And if you're going to have a government controlled health care and you're going to take the free market out of it, you're going you're, you're going to, by definition, have rationed health care. The only way to provide a good or service without rationing is through the free market. And um, a government health care will, by definition, ration health care. And that's why you look at Canada and the United Kingdom and all the, uh, these other places that have socialized health care. And people have to wait months and months to get a procedure and quite often die while they're waiting. That is a way of controlling supply and demand. You can't survive long enough to take advantage of the benefit. But back to this clip with Bernie. What I want everybody to understand is literally starting yesterday, the insurance companies and their drug companies are starting to spend tens and tens of millions of dollars to fight against Medicare for all. And we will organize the American people around the concept that all people in this country have the right to health care. And at the end of the day, we are going to win that struggle. Senator, would you include the 11 million other commensurate immigrants? Absolutely, absolutely. When I talk about... Absolutely, absolutely, I would include the 11 million undocumented. Well, if you include the 11 million undocumented and you do away with the border, as Bernie wants to do, and the rest of the Democrats as well, what you're going to have is millions and millions of people from the third world who have massive health issues flooding into the United States to get free, taxpayer-provided health care. But that, uh, that notion is just not too crazy for old crazy Bernie, and he goes on from there. Include the 11 million other commentary. Absolutely, absolutely. When I talk about health care being a human right, last time I heard that undocumented people are human beings as well. Thank you. Oh, they're human beings as well. So the American taxpayer has a responsibility to provide this human right of health care. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't have a right to anything that is provided by somebody else. The rights that are contained in the American Constitution are God-given rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. There is no guarantee that somebody is going to provide something for you because if you have a right to get something, then somebody else has a duty to provide it. That is the very notion that undergirds, undergirds the, the oppressive nature of Marxist socialism. But Bernie wasn't through there just providing the, or uh, promising the whole world free health care. He goes on. And by the way, and by the way, let me add to this. I had a very emotional meeting just uh, two or three weeks ago in California with some undocumented young people, beautiful young people. And... I listened to them tell me that they hesitated to apply for college because they would not get the financial aid they needed because they're undocumented. We need the best educated population in the world. That means we're going to make our public colleges and universities tuition free and open that to the undocumented as well. You see, ladies and gentlemen, we're no longer a nation of citizens. 
We're just a population now. And Bernie Sanders had an emotional moment where he met with a bunch of young people that were in the country illegally that were reluctant to apply for college because they couldn't get student aid. Well, Bernie's not going to have that. You can't have uh, people that are in the country illegally uh, reluctant to, uh, to take advantage of benefits that were paid for by Americans for Americans. So Bernie's going to do away with all that. So let's say you're sitting in, um, in the Congo or Nigeria or Ghani, Ghana or Guinea. You know, it's hot. It's oppressive. There's not much in the way of uh, government benefits. There's not much in the way of opportunity. All you've got to do is save a couple of thousand dollars and get yourself to the United States somehow, and you have hit the jackpot. There are literally billions and billions of people in this world that will take advantage of these benefits. So so it was just last week that Bernie was uh, breaking the logjam and promising these benefits, which just shocking on its face. But less than a week later, the entire Democrat presidential campaign field had made that cause their own. A lot of you have been talking tonight about these government health care plans that you proposed in one form or another. This is a show of hands question and, and hold them up for a moment so people can see. Raise your hand if, gover- if your government plan would provide coverage for undocumented immigrants. Every single candidate on the stage raised their hands to provide health care for illegal aliens. They're euphemism as undocumented immigrants. First of all, they're not immigrants. An immigrant is somebody that has the legal um, permission to be in the country. These are aliens in the country, illegal, illegally, illegal aliens. And the Democrats are absolutely destroying this country by encouraging more and more illegal aliens to flood our country. And if just turning a blind eye to their entry were not enough, now they're promising them free health care and free tuition at American universities. Every single one of the Democrats on stage raised their hand to that question. And if you thought... That, were, that there was anything left or any such thing anymore as a moderate Democrat in this campaign, I hope you have, uh, have woken up to the reality that the Democrat Party is now a Marxist party thoroughly through and through and that any attempts at moderation have long since passed. Joe Biden was uh, going to be the standard bearer for the old line Democrats, got my old buddy Harold Shakeberger at the International Association of Firefighters urging him to run. But Biden's transition is complete, too. He, he's all in for open borders and free health care for illegal immigrants. And if he thought that he was going to waltz in without having to thoroughly apologize uh, for everything he's ever done or stood for in his career and grovel before the new 
multicultural, politically correct masters that run the Democrat Party, those notions should be thoroughly, thoroughly put to bed at this point. And when we come back, we're going to be joined by Tom Tancredo. We're going to talk about We Build the Wall and the attempts to secure the border, the recent um, rulings from the Supreme Court, and all of the other news on the health care front or on the border front. And we're also going to talk about why Joe Biden is not going to be the nominee of the president of the Democrat Party for president in 2020. You're going to hear two commercials, two brief commercials, and then we'll be right back. Stick with us on Right Now with Jim Dawes. you're back on right now with jim dawes your daily journal of news politics and culture from an america first perspective man oh man those democrat debates could not have been a better re-election campaign commercial for donald trump if he had paid for them and produced them himself four hours of really uh, far left democrats each trying to out-radicalize the other, um, promising more uh, benefits for illegal aliens than anything that they propose to do for American citizens. As a matter of fact, uh, even after this Obamacare debacle, or I should say because of this Obamacare debacle, we still have about 30 million Americans without health care insurance, and yet the Democrat Party, to a man and woman, And what's the word? I can't remember. (laughs) Julian Castro went out there and supported abortion services uh, paid for by the government for transgendered men, for men who think they're women. Um, On one hand, it really won't cost much, but at the same time, this is sheer lunacy. But, you know, it it was one... uh, just one head-shaking uh, moment after another as the Democrats each vied to you know, be, be more radical and more left than the other. And um, the guy that was supposed to come in there and represent you know, the old-style Democrat Party, the Democrat uh, Party of unions and working people and uh, poor dirt farmers and such that was old joe biden the joe biden has just a little bit of a problem because the truth of the matter is the democrat party in joe biden's lifetime was made up of a coalition of um, northern liberals and southern dixiecrats that were committed to segregation uh, that had the legacy of slavery and jim crow and there were still, when Joe Biden arrived in the U.S. Senate at the, at the young age of 29 years old, a substantial number of these uh, Democrats that included Robert Byrd, former Klansman from West Virginia, um, Pete, uh, uh, Peter O. Eastman of Mississippi, a staunch segregationist, um, 
uh, uh, Stenson. Oh man, there was there was a bunch of them, and Joe Biden, being the walking, talking gaff machine that he is, <laughs> actually brought the su- subject up to himself, and and said that that was a better time when uh, he could get along and work with these arch segregationists that were from a from a, uh, a really shameful time in the Democrat Party. He is so tone deaf that he doesn't know that today's Democrat Party is the Democrat Party of radical identity politics that are desperately looking for uh, an opportunity to claim victimhood and accuse white people, especially old white men, of being oppressors. Joe Biden just uh, just brought the subject up himself and gave them the opening they wanted. And of course, uh, they were more than happy to take him up on that, especially old Kamala Harris. Now we're going to deal with Kamala Harris uh, more in depth in a moment, but Kamala Harris is uh, carrying the mantle of women of color, of color. She's of color. The rest of us have no color in uh, the Marxist, cultural Marxist a playbook, but she's a woman of color. And so Joe Biden, who uh, has yet to apologize and grovel at the feet of our new multicultural masters, came in for some abuse from old Kamala Harris uh, as soon as she got the opportunity on sort of an unrelated topic of race. Uh, she followed up with uh, from Pete Buttigieg, who came right out and apologized uh, because a black man had been shot by a white police officer in South Bend, Indiana. He basically threw the white police officer under the bus without um, bothering to, you know, talk about the actual circumstances that led to the police shooting. The police officer says that the, uh, uh, that the uh, perpetrator attacked him with a knife, but instead of giving uh, the officer, the benefit of the doubt, of course, Pete Buttigieg apologized and went on a, um, a groveling um, opportunity. And so Kamala Harris was quick to follow up on that with some attacks on Joe Biden. Growing up, my sister and I had to deal with the neighbor who told us her parents couldn't play with us because she because we were black. Oh, she when she was a child, somebody couldn't play with her because she was black. You can't actually validate that or confirm it, but uh, it makes a good story. And I will say also that that in this campaign, we've also heard, and I'm going to now direct this at Vice President Biden. Um, I do not believe you are a racist. I do not believe you are a racist, and now I'm going to tell you how you really are a racist. And I agree with you when you commit yourself to the importance of finding common ground. But I also common ground when it comes to identity politics or white people surrendering and and, uh, admitting that they're morally uh, retarded and uh, begging forgiveness. So believe and it is personal. And I was actually very it was hurtful. Oh, oh, she's hurt. She's hurt. She's a victim. She's about to don that mantle of victimhood. I was hurt. 
to hear you talk about the reputations of two United States senators who built their reputations and career on the segregation of race in this country. And it was not only that, but you also worked with them to oppose busing. And, you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. And she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. Well, is she saying that that is bad that she was bused to school or that she was it was good she bused to school? It's not really clear, but uh, in any case, she was lying. And I'll uh, I'll uh, uh, talk more about that after the clip. So I will tell you that on this subject, it cannot be an intellectual debate among Democrats. We have to take it seriously. We have to act swiftly. And you have to apologize. (laughs) And he will apologize. He's resisted apologizing because it's going to make him look weak. But uh, he's not going to be able to continue to refuse to apologize. And he very shortly, probably this week or next, will go on an apology tour where he will claim to uh, cleanse himself spiritually and commit wholeheartedly to his status as an oppressor, despite the fact that Joe Biden, uh, you know, has uh, capitulated to every um, identity politics demand for the vast majority of his career. That's not going to be enough. And I need to point out before we go on to Joe Biden's response that uh, Kamala Harris lied just then. She says that she was... Uh, among the first, or she said she was the second year of desegregated uh, school system in Berkeley, California. That's an outright lie. You can go online and find photographs, yearbook photographs from the schools in Berkeley, California, the public schools, and they are most certainly not segregated. And those yearbooks are from the year before Kamala Harris was even born. So she started uh, first grade at age seven, claims that she was in the second desegregated class, and yet we've got photographs from uh, before she was even born of a thoroughly integrated Berkeley, Berkeley school system. And oh, by the way, you need to know that Kamala Harris, uh, first of all, she is the daughter of an Indian immigrant and a, uh, a Jamaican immigrant. She's half Indian and half black Jamaican. And her father uh, from Jamaica was uh, was a slave, or her father's family, I should say, were slave owners. <laughs> they, they actually were part of the problem. If there are going to be reparations, which the Democrat Party is calling for, Pamela Harris, Kamala Harris, should be one of those that are paying reparations. Instead, she'll be receiving them. And that is uh, the, the big... Uh, hypocrisy of this whole um, call for reparations, but Joe Biden was uh, was quick to apologize. He had uh, they gave him thirty seconds to apologize, and here he goes. Vice President Biden, thirty seconds because I want to bring other people into this. I supported the ERA from the very beginning. I'm the guy that extended the Voting Rights Act for 25 years. We got to the place where we got 98 out of 98 votes in the United States Senate doing it. I've also argued very strongly that we, in fact, deal with the notion of denying people access to the ballot box. I agree that everybody once they, in fact, they should. Anyway, my time's up. I'm sorry. Thank you, Vice President. All of these things, Senator. 
So they give him 30 seconds to respond. He responds with a litany of uh, objections for about 15 seconds. Then he declares his own time is up and apologizes. My time is up. I'm sorry. Well, really, that could have been a, a perfect epitaph for Joe Biden's uh, campaign in, uh, in this uh, Democrat primary. My time is up. I'm sorry. And your time certainly is up, Joe. And you should be sorry. Should be sorry for uh, your career in the U.S. Senate. Should be sorry for uh, being a, a stalwart of the Democratic Party, and you should certainly be sorry for uh, for continuing to support this Democrat Party. I've got a clip here. If I can find it, where is Swalwell? Swalwell was quick to tell uh, Biden that in fact his time was up. I was six years old when a presidential candidate came to the California Democratic Convention and said, it's time to pass the torch to a new generation of Americans. That candidate was then Senator Joe Biden. Joe Biden was right when he said it was time to pass the torch to a new generation of Americans 32 years ago. He's still right today. If we're going to solve the issues of automation, pass the torch. If we're going to solve the issues of climate chaos, pass the torch. If we're going to solve the issue of student loan debt, pass the torch. If we're going to end gun violence for families who are fearful of sending their kids to school, pass the torch. Vice President, would you like to sing a torch song? I would. I'm still holding on to that torch. I want to make it clear to you, look. You may think you're still holding on to that torch, but that torch is being pried from your gnarled old fingers and your legacy, such as it was as the former vice president of the United States, is going to be tainted by this ill-advised run in today's current Democrat Party. Uh, you're going to be a three-time loser on the presidential campaign trail. The walking, talking gaff machine whose time has passed him by and who can't accept that today's Democrat Party has no place for him. Did you know that every time you pay your cell phone bill that you're supporting causes with which you probably disagree? That's right. AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile. So all support causes like Planned Parenthood. Uh, sanctuary cities, gun confiscation. And every time you pay your bill, you're supporting those causes and donations to those those uh, causes. Veteran-led Patriot Mobile, on the other hand, is America's only conservative cell phone company. At Patriot Mobile, a portion of your bill supports gun rights, religious liberty, immigration law, and the sanctity of life. Put your money where your heart is by switching to Patriot Mobile. And it's easy. Join thousands of members already saving money, and you'll get the same super-reliable nationwide service and feel good about funding the right agenda with every call you make. With unlimited plans starting as low as $25 a month, come on over today and support your values. And for a limited time only, Patriot Mobile is offering a free month to all new lines. Come on over to Patriot Mobile and take advantage of this limited-time offer by visiting PatriotMobile.com. And use the promo code come on over. Again, that's patriotmobile.com. Promo code come on over for a free month of service on all new lines for a limited time only. This last week, the Democrat presidential candidates were falling all over themselves, promising open borders, 
government health care, and basically a welfare state. The nonprofit group, We Build the Wall, was hosting a telethon to raise funds to continue the construction of privately funded border wall on private property along our southern border. They raised almost a million dollars and added to the $22 million they've already raised to become the largest GoFundMe cause in history. We're joined now by one of their board members, former congressman and presidential candidate Tom Tancredo. has been on the front lines of the immigration debate for over two decades, and we're proud to have him on the program. Congressman Tancredo, thanks for coming on right now. You bet. My pleasure, sir. Thanks for having me. Well, this uh, was quite a week on the immigration front. We had this, uh, this bogus Supreme Court ruling that determined that the president was not allowed to ask citizenship status on the census. We had this injunction from the Ninth Circuit Court that uh, stopped the construction of the wall with emergency funds. And we, uh, we had this spectacle of the Democrats going all in on a welfare state while at the same time promising open borders. It seemed like the only good news was uh, from your organization, We Build the Wall, Tell the listeners about the telethon and what's next. You bet. Um, Brian Kofage, uh, you, you can't talk about this issue without talking about the founder. He is a young man. He's a veteran and a triple amputee. He, at one point, just thought, I've got to do something about this. It's just a crazy situation on that border. Maybe if I you know, embarrass the federal government by raising funds and giving it to them and saying it's for the wall, it'll work. Well, he did. He went. He, he did the GoFundMe thing. It raised twenty million dollars. But then he realized that he was told, and he finally realized you could give all of it to the federal government. But of course, you could not earmark it for anything. It was just going to the general fund. So it changed from that to a, a C four, which is just a, a different designation, and allows a, it's a private entity now that can spend the money itself and build the wall. And so. We found a piece of land. It is, by the way, I should say, it is not easy to, to do this. You, you have to find a piece of land that's owned privately, that is on the border, and that is impacted by illegal immigrants. Um, and then the owner of that land has to agree to either sell or lease it uh, to us. And um, we then have to get the permits from the local authorities to, to build. So it's a, it's a process, I'll tell you. But we did uh, find a gentleman in uh, New Mexico, right on the border of Texas, Mexico, and New Mexico. Um, And he owned a brickyard. And the brickyard had been complete, and it was right on the border. No fences, no nothing. And it was overrun by illegals every night. They would vandalize all of his equipment, steal everything that wasn't nailed down, and some that was. The, uh, he begged the Border Patrol and the Corps of Engineers to help him by building some sort of barrier. They refused to do it because they said it was too expensive to build there, too difficult. It had a 30% incline up this mountainside that's called Mount Cristo, and it's very rugged uh, for a lot of that area. And uh, they said, no, it would take, it would take maybe four, four or five months to do, and about... Um, and about $30 million. Well. Which by we the time the government was through with it would probably turn uh, into, uh, you know, 60 or $90 million. Oh, absolutely. So we uh, responded to the, to the call, essentially. We heard about this. We talked to him. He said, sure, let's do it. From the time that we got there and, and 
and went to get our first permit to the completion of the wall of about almost three quarters of a mile. And, and it was rugged, difficult building, 15 feet high, use of the best steel, 75 year lifespan as opposed to the 25 that the government uses, the best uh, sensors on the border anywhere, lighting a concrete roadway alongside of it that allows the Border Patrol to patrol it. Um, the Border Patrol called it the, the best barrier on the border, and we did it in 57 days from from permit to completion for $8.5 million. Outstanding. You know, I never bought the whole notion that was pushed by the media and the Democrats that this uh, the construction of this wall was some huge mammoth uh, engineering undertaking um, you know, I believe we could build 2,000 miles of uh, border fence uh, on the on the border um, within within a couple of years. Uh, you know, we've got 48,000 miles of interstate highway in this country. Now that is expensive and difficult, um, you know, construction. Putting up a, a tilt up uh, fence, whether it's 15 or 18 feet high, is really just you know uh, not beyond. Our capability as Americans, it's only that uh, we lack the political will. Absolutely true and perfectly stated. It is not an issue of whether we can do it. It's an issue of whether we will do it. We did art, by the way. Uh, these are metal steel ballards, 15 feet high and about, about four inches apart. Um, these things are put into concrete on the ground. It is really and truly an impressive thing, and I hope all of your listeners, rebuildthewall.us and see the pictures of it and of, of its construction, what we had to go through. It's really quite an accomplishment. I'm so proud of the team that, that did this. I can't tell you. You know, in that uh, last uh, monstrous omnibus bill that the uh, Congress passed, um, they gave like, you know, $1.6 billion for the president to uh, uh, to improve existing uh, border barrier, and then they they also put a bunch of poison pills in and and forbid him yes. to build in the areas that need it the worst. But it was uh, shortly thereafter that a, a company I can't remember their name is something sand company uh, stepped forward and said for one point six billion dollars they could build about a hundred miles of uh, of the border fence, uh, which you know put the lie to uh, the the idea that this was going to be some super expensive undertaking. Um, Hey, sorry about that. Who let the dogs out? <laughs> who let the dogs out? <laughs> so, Go ahead. So, um, I, you know, it's it's just amazing that um, this crisis, this border crisis, has been going on for at least twenty years. It was a signature issue that you ran for president on back in two thousand and eight, and we've um, the problem keeps getting worse and keeps getting compounded, and now. We've really ripped the mask off these Democrat presidential candidates who are openly advocating for open borders and uh, and government-sponsored health care for illegal immigrants. I've never seen anything like that, that second debate, especially um, in many ways. I, I actually posted afterwards that um, I, I wanted a survey of people who agreed with me that the Southern Poverty Law Center should identify the, the uh, Democrat Party as a hate group because I've never heard anything so hateful in my life as the stuff they were spewing that night. And then, of course, this idiotic uh, uh, idea that um, the you can, well, put it this way, you can tell that the worm has turned 
on the issue and that people are now becoming aware of the severity of the problem. That number one, it does exist. Number two, it is very severe and is uh, something that has to be dealt with. And the reason why I believe that's true is because now they are saying we have this problem. It's and, and they're blaming Trump for, for open borders. I mean, give me a break. It must be great to be a Democrat where you, you can spin up any narrative you want and, and have it swallowed and uh, promoted uncritically by the mainstream media. You the know, this, media. this oh. notion that uh, we're, they're putting children in cages on the borders. They sent a bunch of left-wing lawyers down there that inspected one uh, detention center determined, uh, you know, one of the kids told them they didn't have toothpaste or soap, and all of a sudden it turned into this uh, this major humanitarian crisis. And I, I don't want to get on my soapbox, but, you know, hundreds of thousands of American children are separated from their parents every year in this country when those parents are arrested. Those kids are put into foster homes and group homes and place with relatives, the same exact thing that is happening to these children down on the border, but Apparently, the Democrats care more about the illegal alien children than they do American children now. Well, how about the thousands? And I mean that when I say thousands of Americans that have been murdered, raped, robbed. Uh, it gets into the hundreds of thousands when you add crimes to it by people who are here illegally, who have been picked up for committing other crimes, but go on and commit even more heinous crimes and are never turned over to ICE because they are they're illegal immigrants. They're in sanctuary cities or really a sanctuary country for a long time. And, and who, nobody cares about them. I mean, give me a break. The, the thousands of families that have been torn apart, thousands of people killed in this country murdered and high Nobody, pro, high profile cases that would oh normally just be you know the the blaring headlines uh, in texas that uh, that health care uh, worker that was an illegal immigrant is uh, suspected of killing over a hundred or possibly as many as a hundred elderly people a, a, a serial killer maybe uh, unrivaled in history an illegal immigrant and yeah, uh that's right oh they're there are so many stories. I'm telling you, we have on the board of We Build the Wall, there are two people, both of whom we call angel parents because they each of them had lost uh, one son. And, no, both of them had lost a son to illegal alien activity. Uh, and when they tell their stories, it is so heartbreaking. And, and nobody seems to care. When you talk about the morality of this this issue and how it's immoral to, to separate kids or it's immoral to stop people from coming in into this country if they want to. Morality, how can they use that word? I mean, how can it come out of their mouths when the most immoral things are allowing people, the most moral thing I can think of it with regard to this issue is allowing people to come into this country, having them commit crimes, robbery, TUI, you name it, never turned over to ICE, then they rob, rape, or murder someone. That is not immoral. These people who have voted for these sanctuary cities, I'll tell you, or maintain them, or, or, or even give, um, even if you don't go through the formal process of calling yourself a, a sanctuary city, when you maintain one, when you restrict the police from working with ICE, and something happens, somebody is killed, or raped, or robbed, in your city, by someone who had been there illegally, then the blood of those people or the actions they have taken are on your head. You Absolutely. are as culpable, I think, 
as anybody that commits the crime. And their defense is, well, Americans commit crimes too. Well, that may be true, but that doesn't mean that we have to let in a new class of uh, criminal that are illegal aliens, um, you know, because uh, there's some sort of moral equivalency. We have the, the right and the responsibility, or at least our government does, of making sure that criminals and terrorists and uh, people with uh, communicable diseases don't come into the country. And, and the reason for that is national security. And how the, the, right. the government in Washington has been able to turn a blind eye to what's going on. How many, how many illegal aliens do you believe are, have set up a house in this country? I, I hear the number anywhere from 11 to 22 million. Oh, yeah, definitely closer to the higher than the lower. I assure you of that. There's well over 11 million. Um, the uh, Pew Center, um, I, I think that's some of the statistics that are often quoted, but it, they're years old, first of all. And when you consider that um, right in the, this year alone, we will have have brought into the country, I say, I say, I can't say intercepted or anything because what we've done is essentially welcome them because they claim sanctuary. And there's over a million of them that will have been here this just this year. Unbelievable. So, well Tom, we've got to wrap it up. I want to make sure that uh, we plug your organization, WeBuildTheWall.us. You can find them online and go to their GoFundMe page and support this cause. They're actually uh, doing some good down there on the southern border, uh, putting that money to good use. Um, building the wall uh, that the government, uh, the judges seem determined to stop the government from doing. Tom Tancredo, thank you for joining us on, on uh, right now. I hope you'll come back and join us again sometime. When the weather outside is frightful, the Hyundai Santa Fe is, hmm, what's the word? Delightful. Because it's got available H-Track all-wheel drive to make being out together better. Enter for your chance to win the newly redesigned Santa Fe, packed with all the jingle bells and whistles you need to go dashing through the snow together. To enter, visit Amazon.com slash Hyundai or scan the QR code on specially marked red and green Amazon boxes. No purchase necessary. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details.